this is not podcast we are looking for. You will listen to the Wrestling Outsiders podcast. This is the podcast we are looking for. In a galaxy far, far away, you are listening to the Wrestling Outsiders podcast. <laughs> Jinder Mahal and Randy Orton 
नंबर वन नंबर वन नंबर वन इंडिया नंबर वन इंडिया नंबर वन इंडिया नंबर वन बन गए हैं नंबर वन इंडिया से पंजाब से इंडिया नंबर वन नंबर वन और हम देख रहे हैं कि इंडिया वन पॉइंट टू फिल्म ऑफ इंडिया से आ गया है चैंपियन वर्ल्ड रेसलिंग Chances are, Brian, no one was excited as they were. No, not even close. They put the E in excitement for sure. Well, I am happy to report, by the way, that the Bollywood boys have not died. Um, well, Randy right. Orton did it. Randy Orton did attempt to kill them on Sunday. Um, however, thankfully. They neither died nor broke their necks when Orton carelessly threw them in the air and they landed on top of their heads on the announce table. Thank God nothing seriously happened to them. Jinder Mahal would be screwed. Yes. Who would run interference for them then? Now, they have to sign and call to two Indian people. Well, Brian, I've got a serious question because, you know, Jinder became the WWE champion, the first uh, uh, person of that descent to win the title ever. So, you know, in this time of celebration, I sincerely hope that him and his brother-in-law, the great Kali, were able to reconcile. You know what? I don't think that happened. (sighs) Yeah, too bad this is a Brett Owen situation. And yep. I hope, you know, it does lead to a match in a cage between the two of them at SummerSlam this year. That would be a hell of a match. Kali can't really yeah. walk, but that would still be a hell of a match. Kali couldn't really walk when he was, you know, wrestling. I don't think uh, now is any better. Who would carry who in this match? Oh. And I just, I just want you to remember, in case you think... Um, Jinder Mahal is the worst world champion of all time. In two weeks, Brian's going to be reviewing David Arquette's title victory. Two weeks away from that. It's a three-minute match, Brian. It's the least he could do. I'm, I'm not asking you to give up your firstborn here, you know. Well, true, I guess. We can take that as a awkward step towards talking about Nitro. Oh, God. WCW Monday Nitro, April 17th, 2000, from Rockford, Illinois. It was the night after Spring Stampede, Brian. Yeah, that clusterfuck. Yes. Um, Every championship except for one, was held by members of the New Blood. By the way, the New Blood included Scott Steiner, who was almost 40 at this point, Shane Douglas, who was almost 40 at this point. Shane Douglas is a member of the New Blood, but he he began his training at the same time as Mick Foley, and this was two months after Mick Foley retired. That also indicates that Shane Douglas should not be a member of the New Blood, but who are we to judge Vince Russo and Eric Bischoff? Who? 
It was mostly Russo writing it. Um, Shane Douglas, by the way, at this point, believe it or not, was only, quote-unquote, 35 years old. Only 35. Yes. Um, Let's see how old Scott Steiner was. Uh, Scott Steiner, according to the always reliable Wikipedia, was the ripe old age of 37. I think I said that. That's not too bad. Yeah, bad as the 40-year-olds that were world champion and whatnot. So, I found it ironic. I think WWE Network was trying to taunt me because I started watching the show Monday night at 10 o'clock, and when I turned on the network, what was on but the Monday Night War documentary, and they were on the part with Russo and Bischoff. I'm Um, like, really? I'm, 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 I'm getting screwed here, right? Sound like you were. Alrighty, so Nitro kicked off. Uh, they had security stealing off all the entrances, so only the wrestlers invited to the show are allowed to be there. Keep in mind, one week ago they were saying that the Millionaires Club were lazy and they didn't want to go to work. Um, we start with what turned out to be one of the best statements ever, just out of pure irony. Um, we have the giant confetti celebration, a ticker tape uh, parade of sorts, and the star of WCW, Vince Russo, came out first, and he was accompanied by all of the uh, minor champions. With everyone but Jared. Uh, Very much, yeah. Everything, of course, was red because, you know, we're not up for subtlety. And I don't know how much they spent on balloons and confetti and paraphernalia, but they flooded the building in this, in all this, and it led to balloons being popped all night long. So if you are a blind person who at one point went to war, you may have thought war had broken out on TNT. Uh, you would think so. Yeah. Now, they had three people in riot squad gear at ringside. And before we continue, I just want to remind you that Vince Russo booked an angle in the WWF one year earlier with three people in riot squad gear. So Don't ask me who he was. I forget what was that? I said, don't ask me who the was. I forget. Uh, the Riot Squad in the WWF was the uh, amazing trio of Shawn Michaels, Pat Patterson, and Gerald Briscoe. Mm. They were the Riot Squad in the WWF version of this angle. And since Vince Russo only knows about five angles, Well, we got to redo it here. Um, Mark Madden, in one of those annoying things that they don't think twice when they say what the fuck they're saying, and I'm sure part of this he was told what to say, but Mark Madden talked about how all these guys would be champions before if not for the Millionaire's Club. To which I point out, 
Scott Steiner was U.S. champion in 1999. Shane Douglas was WCW Tag Team Champion in 1993. Bagwell was a four-time Tag Team Champion before this. And Candido just joined the company a month ago. Who doesn't belong in that sentence? So yeah, ob- obviously, they're being held down and kept away from these championship belts. Of course. Makes sense. <sighs> so Russo tried to start multiple lawsuits with one promo. First, telling Candido that he'd be having some sunny days in reference to Tammy Sitch and in reference to that time that a drunken, drugged-up Shawn Michaels uh, told the world that Bret Hart was having an affair with Sonny on national television. Uh-huh. Which I'm sure, by the way, spoiler alert, Bret Hart was in the building. I'm sure Bret uh, appreciated that comment. I'm sure he did, too. Uh, Russo said that Terry Funk will lose the hardcore title tonight. Funk is too damn old. And then we get to what turned out to be the worst idea in hindsight, a rip on the WWF. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'll explain to you at the end of this review why it was a really bad idea as opposed to just the normal bad idea. But um, Russo decides to call out Jim Ross and tells Jim Ross to kiss his ass um, before introducing the WCW world champion and secondary star, despite being the world champion, Jeff Jarrett. Ah, chosen one. Jarrett comes out, says that other than uh, his child being born, this is the greatest day of his life. And I feel really bad for him because this greatest day of his life went about eight days. Yeah. <laughs> um, surprised by that. He, well, it's Vince Russo, so not really. And by the way, he also told Jim Ross to kiss his ass. Um, Jared, the heel world champion said that he was pissed off that he wasn't invited to be in Ready to Rumble, a movie which, by the way, finished being filmed before he joined WCW, just to point that out. To make up for it, the heel world heavyweight champion challenged his babyface challenger to a triple cage Ready to Rumble steel cage match at Slamboree, which I'm going to spend the next three weeks reminding everybody that Slamboree in May of 2000 is in Kansas City one year since Owen Hart died in Kansas City. And I hate to keep bringing that up, but I'm going to be really pissed off when we review Slamboree. And honestly, I'm, I am I get pissed off later on in this review too, and I'm sure Brian can figure out why. <laughs> so we're done talking about the World Heavyweight Wrestling Champion, we need to bring out the other real star. In fact, the other two real stars, Eric Bischoff and Kimberly, both of whom more important than the world champion. Um, Bischoff, Bischoff basically cut a promo saying that he's going to be having a lot of sex with Kimberly. 
Kimberly then cut a bad promo saying that the entire relationship was all about DDP, that she stood behind him all those years, but deep down Paige knew that she was the star, so they're trying to make Kimberly into their sable. Um, they said that from last night on, Kimberly is now focusing on her needs, her wants, her opportunities, and then said she needed to have sex with Eric Bischoff. Thankfully, she didn't use those exact words, but she pretty much said those exact words. So no live sex celebration will happen between Eric Bischoff and Kimberly Page tonight on the show. Thank God, no. Yes. So, DDP shows up. Well, I want to Kimberly naked. She's, she's pretty hot, so. Oh, yeah, she's a very attractive young lady. Um, Bischoff is in discordant up. So Paige shows up 20 minutes late, um, and he storms by Sean Stasiak and Kurt Hennig, who were going over their match coming up next. Um, spoiler alert. And yeah. so so Paige storms to the ringside area. Um, by the way, Paige beat up all the security guys who were doing their jobs. You know, that that's great. Um the Riot Squad stepped aside and let Paige get to the ring. Wouldn't have been better for them to pretend to be security guards. That way Paige could have gotten into the arena. But instead, the Riot Guard were just hoping that Paige beat up the security geeks and got into the uh, arena. And Brian, I hope you're sitting down. Because it turns out, the Riot Squad was Ric Flair, Lex Luger, and Sting. <laughs> Yes. Yes. And outnumbered seven on four, the New Blood beat up the five uh, world champions of WCW and Russo and Bischoff by themselves. And shockingly, by the way, that's how the WWF angle went too. Do you have any thoughts on our opening angle, Brian? Waste of time. Is that appropriate? It took them 20 minutes to say a whole lot of nothing, huh? Pretty much. Waste of time. They have all these talented wrestlers, and they waste their time with this bullshit. And it's not even wasting our time with this bullshit. It was wasting our time, and it wasn't even about the wrestlers. It was about Russo, Bischoff, and Kimberly. And their egos. Despite what happened. Yes. Despite what happens in the next few months, Russo, Bischoff, and Kimberly are not wrestlers. No one is paying to see them. Really? With that, fuck. With that, with that said, they both do run healthy, undefeated streaks throughout this year. And we'll get to both of them winning championships. And Kimberly... I think the only reason Kimberly didn't win a title was because she kept refusing to wrestle. So, you know, there's that. Was there a women's title at that time? No, but that doesn't mean... It, they couldn't create one for her. Being, not having a women's title, by the way, will not stop a woman from winning a championship. True story, Medusa. Oh, no. We're not going to be reviewing Medusa. They, there's one coming up. Oh, God. God. 
Yep. Um, so Eric Bischoff was mad that the seven-on-four advantage that his guys had was not enough, so he yelled at Lash LaRue, Bam Bam Bigelow, Hugh Morris, Chavo Guerrero, Jerry Flynn of all people, and Booker T for not coming out and assisting the seven-on-four attack to make it even more out of whack. Booker, who, by the way, Booker, who was heel on April 10th, turned babyface on Thunder, turned heel at Spring Stampede, uh, may have turned babyface there somewhere again, was heel again here, and he was mad at Bischoff, so Bischoff told him to get on his good side. By the way, um, in case I didn't say this already, you know, last week we reviewed Spring Stampede, so there's no show to update you on that you missed, I promise. Um, and there's no Thunder this week, so the next show we review is the next show. Thank God. So, so Bischoff tells Booker, you better go on his good side. Then Bischoff tells Russo to tell Mike Austin to beat up DDP. Then the security come in, who were all who all got beat up by DDP, and they quit. And then Bischoff picked up a phone that wasn't ringing, and it was Hogan who said that he would beat up Eric in five minutes. That was all one segment. Tell him the segment. So I got to ask you, Brian, when uh, Bischoff was yelling at them, did you recognize Jerry Flynn at all? Yes, I did, actually. And I responded, what the fuck's he doing there? Honestly, I don't know why, but I didn't recognize Chavo at first, but I figured it out because he was there with Hugh and Lash, and he will find out. Yep. So then we got our first match after 20-plus minutes onto the show. Shockingly, considering they were shown in the back going over their match, Kurt Hennig versus the perfect one, Sean Stasiak. So Sean Stasiak is the new Mr. Perfect. Makes sense. Um, He's got the meat angle. I do believe in WWE. He was fired for, oh, yeah. for uh, re- secretly recording conversations between wrestlers. Um, the highlight of the match was Miss Hancock walking to ringside for some reason. Um, the other highlight she can distract was me any Hunter. day of the week. I bet she could. The other highlight was Scott Hudson claiming that when Hulk Hogan said five minutes, he could have really meant 20 minutes. Yeah. That was just, you know, only in wrestling. So, Hennig threw water on Mark Madden. And you want to know why he randomly threw water on Mark Madden? Madden needed a shower? Maybe, but uh, the real reason was Hennig is best friends with Bobby Heenan, and Bobby Heenan lost his job to Mark Madden. So you can put two and two together there. Makes sense. Um, Hennig carried Stasiak to a good match until the absurd referee bump that has to happen in every match because we cannot have a clean finish. Um, Hennig had a one with a perfect flex, but Stasiak hit Hennig with the brass knuckles and then one with the F5, 
which I don't think he ever uses again, and it was called The Perfect Plant. His F5 is different, though. He drops him, like, more toward the front as opposed to the side. Maybe he couldn't get it perfect all the way over, maybe. I don't know. Well, we've already talked too much about that match because before the announcer could even say who won, we are looking at the back of a policeman. And it took me a few seconds to realize I was looking at the back of a policeman because all of a sudden the screen went 80% blank except you could see some daylight sticking up over what turned out to be their shoulder. So the reason why we were staring at the back of a policeman was because for some reason they had cameras in the back seat of a patrol car, um, and this patrol car had just shown up at the arena conveniently at the same time Hulk Hogan showed up at the arena. This then led to the most preposterous thing you've ever seen in your life. Keep in mind, at Spring Stampede, they pulled guns on Hulk Hogan, and so this time, the policemen tell him he's not allowed in the arena, and Hulk Hogan stares at them. I would say so. Hulk Hogan Hulk Hogan stared at them, and that's not enough, because after staring at them for several seconds, they stepped aside and let him in. You know what? If Hulk Hogan came and stared at me for a long enough time, I'd be scared shitless too. Move off to the side. (sighs) Because this segment isn't enough of a train wreck, Hogan then walked into the arena and couldn't find the curtain to go through to get out to the ring. There were people pointing him to the right spot, and he still couldn't find it. So we then had had to cut back to the ring, where Sean Stasiak, after his win, is still beating up Kurt Hennig, when Hogan finally walks all the way around the stage and comes out along the side, marches to the ring, and he decides that Billy Kidman isn't the only young guy he's going to ruin the credibility of. Not that Sean Stasiak will ever have credibility, but if he ever did, he sure as hell didn't now because Hulk Hogan calmly walked to the ring, picked up Sean Stasiak, threw him out of the ring in two seconds, and Stasiak was never seen again. Well, it is Stasiak, so not surprised. After commercial, Hogan is still out there, and now we get Hulk Hogan shooting. And you know he's shooting, Brian, because he's not Hulk Hogan. He says he's Terry Bollea. Well, that's true, yeah. And he announces that while you can make him and you can write him up a script to say that he's going to slip on a banana peel and lose, um, he it doesn't matter, and he will still kick everyone's ass. So uh-huh. he admits that when that him losing last week, even though like 99% of people realized that he didn't actually lose to Billy Kidman, he pretty much just said how much bullshit that was. He said that Terry Bollea has more heart and if anyone wants his spot, they better be a better breed of wrestler and good enough to run him off. 
He said he's listening to Kidman cry and moan, but he makes Kidman sick. And if Kidman wants Hogan's spot, he can come out and take it. And then, because last week wasn't good enough and Spring Stampede wasn't good enough, Billy Kidman was in the parking garage, so Hulk Hogan had to spend two hours looking for him. Long two hours, what would it be? It's Hulk Hogan, he's kind of old. This, these fucking arenas, how big are they? And <clears throat> well, like, you have to remember, this is the same ghost Chevy that pulled out the Georgia Dome. So. Yes, Hogan ever finds his way to the ring because... You know, in two hours, he finally got to the parking garage. Hey, he's a slow walker. Leave him be. It's like, Vince Russo, in his attempt to, is not actually elevating Billy Kidman. He is bringing Hulk Hogan down. There's a difference between bringing Kidman up to Hogan's level and bringing Hogan down to Kidman's level, which whether or not you think Hogan being on top is a good thing, that is a bad idea to bring Hulk Hogan down to Kidman's level at this point. Yeah. Let's face it, Hulk Hogan so, at this time is 50, and Billy Kidman's probably late 20s. After commercial, we're, we've returned to everyone's favorite show, which is Hulk Hogan stalks Billy Kidman. And mm. he's out. At this point, he's outside and not in the parking garage screaming for Kidman. I mean, okay, how many parking garages do you think this arena has? Like 15 or so? Just like for fuck's sake, you know, if I see, hey, Kidman's in a parking garage, I know that if I go to the parking garage, I'll just drive around until I find Kidman. Makes sense. I bet he wouldn't, I bet he could have found him pretty damn quickly. Probably. So the New Blood last week, and of course, other than Booker T, they have decently got along, but it's been a week, so we've already got to have dissension in the team. So Jeff Jarrett announced that he's tired of people complaining in the New Blood, and he's putting an open contract on his door, and the first member of the New Blood to sign it gets a world title shot tonight. By the and way, of all people, uh, and of all people to sign that contract, it was just, that one don't, person. Don't, don't don't spoil it yet because they do a pretty good job I'm of spoiling not. it themselves. Um, by the way, apparently there was a uh, meeting where they discussed whether it was a better idea to do this mystery opponent angle, or do a or just say up front who it was going to be, and Russo decided that it would be better for ratings for it to be a mystery. Was it better for ratings? We'll talk about that later. So it was time for Terry Funk defending the hardcore title against The Wall. Brian, you want to take this? Do I really want to take it? Yes, you do. I mean, poor Terry Funk gets the shit kicked out of him for the majority of this match. And it was yes. Funk getting the holy fuck beat out of him from the wall. But in the end, the old fart finds a way to win the match. Somehow, well, I, was well this, yeah, this was the angle that tables got thrown on the wall. Well, let, 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 me, let me say a few things about this. 
Okay. Terry Funk, this 55-year-old man, does a moonsault off the top rope to the floor. The wall is well over six and a half feet tall. He's north of 300 pounds. And the wall does not catch him. So Terry Funk, the 55-year-old man, crashes onto the floor. And then the wall gives him a pile driver on the announce table. In 1989, Terry Terry Funk gave Ric Flair a pile driver on a table, and Flair was out for two months. Brian, how long was Funk down for? Not even a minute. Five seconds. Five seconds. Then they wrestled. And then they wrestled up to the stage where, for some reason, they had a giant human sized bird cage that the wall smashed Terry Funk's head in. Now, I I do have one thing to say about bird cages. No one puts a regular person in a birdcage without me having something to say about it. Yes. Nobody puts a regular person in a birdcage, Brian. No, of course not. And then, so, for some reason, there were tables that were stacked up on their side uh, near the entranceway. For no reason. There's no reason why you would randomly have these tables stacked up there. Well, well somebody, decided, somebody decided it was a good idea to just push them over. And they got shoved over on top of the wall, who the wall who no-sold all of Terry Funk's offense, no-sold being hit by a chair, he sold being having these tables shoved on top of him, and then Funk won with a double foot stomp. So, do you think we're ever going to find out who pushed those tables on the wall? Possibly, but time will tell. If it's clusterfuck, call the Bruce Bill error. Well, I'm going to make note of this, and we're going to see how long it takes for them to tell us who pushed those tables over on the wall. This show is booked by somebody on LSD. Remember how I mentioned that they didn't even have time to announce Sean Stasiak as the winner of the first match? before they cut away to the police arriving at the arena? Yes. Well, it happened again because David Panzer, whose job, by the way, it is to announce the winners of these matches, his job isn't that damn important because in the middle of his announcement, we are magically whisked away to Vince Russo's office where Brian Adams and Brian Clark have arrived demanding a tag team title match. Russo said so. that it was not a good Yeah. Russo said it's not a good time for a match, so Adams threatened him. And Russo, being the one hundred and forty pound, one hundred and fifty pound writer of the show, stood up to the six foot six, two hundred and eighty to three hundred pound muscular heelish monsters of men standing in front of him, and they backed down to skinny pussy ass Vince Russo. He is from New York. Like, we were there afraid of the accent. I don't know how the hell we're going to last six months doing this. This is 
week three, and I already want to kill Vince Russo. That's a, Hang in there. It's, the it's bad enough. It's, it's bad enough when he writes this shit, Brian. It's even worse when he's an active participant and booking himself to be basically the number one babyface in the whole fucking promotion. And he's not really a babyface. No, somebody with a large muscular arm named Scott signed Jeff Jarrett's contract. We're not supposed to know who this is, despite the camera zooming in on his large muscular arm and the name Scott on the contract. I have no idea who this could be, Brian. Do you? I I didn't really notice that part. You didn't see Scott written on the contract or the giant vein in his hand? I was not really paying attention, no. Brian is too poor to pay attention. So, by the way, I wonder who the giant muscular person named Scott is who's going to be facing Jarrett for the title tonight. Mm. I think I'm going to bet my money that it's either going to be Scott Armstrong or Scotty Too Hottie. My name is Scott Putsky. Oh, Scott Husky. Ooh, that's a, that's a good one. Could be him. Because remember, he's he quite muscular back in, back in the day, David. Yeah. And speaking of Jared, Jared's mad about whoever this Scott person is that signed the contract. Which, you know, Scotty Zuhati is from the WWF, so, and he was the yeah. WWF light heavyweight champion around this time, so it's possible that he jumped ship. Coach stuck a deal. So in case I wasn't pissed off enough about Russo, DDP's backstage and said he doesn't care about having to wrestle Mike Awesome, the big scary monster they just paid ECW almost $200,000 for the rights for. He's just pissed off about scrawny Eric Bischoff, not an actual wrestler, not the world champion Jeff Jarrett, not even his ex, well, his soon-to-be ex-wife. He wants Eric Bischoff's ass, which is the gayest thing people keep saying on wrestling. Well, they make a point. They randomly showed the owner of the Chicago Blackhawks sitting at ringside. I wonder if this is an angle alert. Yeah, possibly. Oh, and they had some guy there with them, too. By the way, the owner of the Blackhawks, his name is Bruce MacArthur, or at least I don't know if he still does, but at least he did at the time. He was legitimately best friends with Ric Flair, and they legitimately went to military school together. So that's why if you ever watch all these old nitros in Chicago, Bruce MacArthur is always showing up on them. Hmm. That's Here's some trivia for you. Yeah. Uh, so then... Do you remember last week when I said I was going to have some comments because Russo was pissed that the Marmadukes and the Harris Twins lost their match to Ric Flair and Lex Luger? Yep. Well, their reward for losing that match was this number one contenders match between each other. Um, makes sense. At least that's, yeah. At least that's what was teased anyway. Um, thankfully for Russo, Chronic was there to try to make sense out of Russo's crappy script writing. 
um, as they beat the crap out of both teams. It went on very long, and all I had to write was, Chronic beat the crap out of both teams and then cut a promo on Vince Russo, the number one star of the promotion. Five-minute angle, 30 seconds to describe it. Makes sense. By the, by the way, do you ever wonder why I keep calling them the Marmadukes instead of the Mamalukes? I wonder why I keep saying that. Well, Marmaduke, isn't that the Dawson some from a shell? Well, that, isn't Marmaduke well, a, Marm- a dog from a shell? Yes, but the reason why I keep calling them the Marmadukes is because when they were feuding with David Flair and Crowbar, that's what Daphne kept calling them, which was the yeah. only entertaining part of that feud. So, and that does, they haven't brought it up here yet, but they will eventually, spoiler alert. The whole Mama Luke's thing, their storyline is that they don't wish to be called the Mama Luke's. They want to be called the Python. So, the, the team doesn't want to be called the Mama Luke's. Why are they called the Mama Luke's? If they want to be called the Pythons, why aren't they called the Pythons? Makes sense. But hey, this is WCW. We don't need to, things to actually make sense here. No, of course not. Nothing ever does. Let's start now. You know that lack of a wrestling match we had in the last segment? Yeah. That was too much wrestling. Because Vampiro is out next for a promo. This was an annoying promo. Um, Dave Meltzer apparently liked the light show. I did not. They kept flashing red and yellow lights all throughout the promo. You would think Hogan was coming out. Yeah. That's what I thought. Um, Why the fuck Hogan coming out to interfere? Harry, another young guy? Why not? You might as well get the entire company in one night. Yeah, makes sense. He said that last night at Spring Stampede, he tasted Sting's blood and smelled his fear for the first time, and tonight is the beginning. Which made me wonder, how is tonight the beginning and not last night or last week's Nitro? Why is this the beginning? Who knows? Yeah. Anyway, Vampiro's going to wrestle Sting at Slamboree. We then got, is there going to be like a first blood or something like that? Um, nope, I don't think so. I think it's just a normal match. At least at the moment, it's currently a normal match. Um, we then got the moment that caused me to yell and scream at my television. As oh, we boy. mentioned, as I mentioned, you know, this was around the one-year anniversary of Owen Hart passing away. And if you recall, the NBA, uh, the NBA, WCW, and basically everybody banned people coming from the arena after this. It was amazing that the NBA did it since, you know, Owen was never in the NBA and never played basketball, but it was still a class act by then. Yeah. WWF, the WWF didn't have anyone repel from the ceiling for almost 20 years. And when they did do it, it was some soldiers that tribute to the troops who were more than enough buckled in and qualified. Vince Russo, because he's an ass, with Bret Hart in the arena, 
spoiler alert again. He had Sting come down from the rafters, and because he felt that this was an important part of the storyline, was for Sting to come down from the rafters. And it would have only annoyed me a little bit about that. I'd probably have mentioned it and been irked. But the fact is, whoever did it, I'm shocked Sting didn't get injured or, for fuck's sake, worse. Because he flew down. Like, yeah. This wasn't, the, nice, yeah, this wasn't 1997 Sting with the slow descent, you know, with all the extra cables on him to make sure he was perfectly safe. This like this was like he jumped off the top rope and fell flat foot on the ground. That's how fast he was falling. And it Yeah. And here's the thing, like Bret Hart was asked uh if he had a problem with it and Brett said that he didn't have a problem as long as Sting didn't have a problem with it and felt safe doing so. But and the thing is everybody in the company felt that it was in poor taste except for Vince fucking Russo. And so I don't even know what happened. Did did he beat up Sting or did he beat up or did Sting beat up Vampiro? Sting Sting beat up Vampiro. Great. While talking with him. Like Vampiro had time to like block baseball bat shots that weren't happening right away, so yeah. Great. Just, just wonderful. Yeah. Do you have anything you want to say about this? It, it was a bad choice first of arenas, and the lack of ropes that they used was also unacceptable, especially this time. It was like you said, about a year after Owen passed away, which yesterday I believe marked the, what, 17th year, 18th year? They did, 18 years. 18 years, yeah, so... But it is what it is, and that's why Venture is so pretty much buried WCW. So Hogan is still looking for Kidman, so he screamed at some kids, man. Jeff Jarrett is mad at What was that? I said they looked like they were having a fun birthday party. Why are there always, like, all these kids in the catering Room. Like this happened last week too, and it happened at Spring Stampede or the Terry Funk match. Like they just have like randomly all these kids sitting in catering. Like, well, maybe they, they it was a birthday party. Maybe for extra money they were hosting birthday parties. Oh Lord. So Jeff Jarrett, by the way, is mad at his best friend, the head writer Vince Russo. And so Russo is going to talk to quote unquote him. Because yeah, Vince Russo Scott, big big arm, veins, gotcha. So then we got DDP versus Mike Awesome for three minutes. Um there were two highlights of this match. The first was Mike Awesome doing a springboard clothesline to the floor. And then the second was Mark Madden and Tony Schiavone talking about how we don't do disqualification as Chris Canyon was running to the ring to uh, attack Mike Awesome for the disqualification. Great timing. So, 
with that comment. So Chris, Can- yeah, Chris Canyon, the baby face, uh, attacked Mike Awesome, and yeah, thanks. Kevin Nash, yeah, he got his ass kicked. Can or Awesome pulled out a table, set up the table, and then Kevin Nash's music started playing. And then Kevin Nash's music continued. And then Kevin Nash's music continued. And eventually, eventually, Kevin Nash has appeared uh, out of the crowd and he has attacked Mike Awesome and nearly impales him on the table leg by giving him a powerbomb through the edge of the table. So I, I think awesome, there's a bad angle. Yeah. So awesome went fifty fifty with Paige. So him and Paige are on roughly the same level. But then roughly. Awesome absolutely absolutely destroyed Canyon. So Canyon's Mike Awesome's jobber. And then Kevin Nash completely destroyed Mike Awesome. So Awesome is Nash's jobber. Which in return makes Nash Canyon or Canyon Nash's jobber as well? Well, that makes Canyon a super jobber. Super jobber? Like Brooklyn Brawler level jobber? Or Barry Harwick's jobber? I'm thinking like the Duke of Dorchester Pete Doherty level jobber. Whoa. Of course. So I'm going to cover these next two segments with uh, the length that they lasted. Vince Russo was talking to somebody who slammed the door in his face, and then Tank Abbott was walking, and then Shane Douglas and Buff Bagwell were on camera cutting a promo. That happened so yeah. quickly, I I was still typing that awesome one by disqualification, and suddenly three segments had happened, and Douglas and Bagwell are on my TV. <sighs> so... Bagwell and Shane cut a promo. Bagwell said that he's wrestling Luger at Slamboree. Douglas said he's wrestling Flair at Slamboree for the first well, time ever. Despite... Yeah. It was for the first time ever, by the way, despite the fact they had a match last week. Um, Douglas isn't happy that that, that that jackass, Lex Luger, and that he wants to wrestle Luger tonight, and by sheer coincidence, Luger just happened to be standing off to the side, and so he charged it and said that not if Buff Bagwell interferes, Russo, the star of the company, interferes, then that means that Douglas gets disqualified and Luger and Flair get the tag team titles. Makes sense. Uh. Tank Abbott was out next, and he called Mark Madden a fat ass. Makes sense. Uh, Tank cut his promo on Goldberg and said that he will continue to beat up the idiots who worship Goldberg. And, of course, you know, of all the fans who just happen to be sitting at ringside, the person that he goes after is Ric Flair's friend, the owner of the Chicago Blackhawks, Thank God, you know, they had the foresight to just show him earlier so you knew he was there, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's coincidence, you know. 
Um, no security seemed to care that Tank was beating up fans. However, as soon as the hockey player jumped the guardrail to go after Tank, yeah, a thousand people went running out to stop this. So they didn't care about Tank beating up fans, but when fans try for revenge, here we are. Makes sense. They don't get this. Terry Taylor shows uh, showed up 90 minutes late for Nitro. Where the hell was he? Writer or something? What was that? Was like one of the important people backstage. Yes, he's one of the agents. And by the way, if you if we assume that wrestling is real, what is Terry Taylor's job? He's just a random person who's been randomly backstage. And they've shown on camera a few times now, and he keeps stooging off where people are hiding. Because yes, folks, Hulk Hogan, uh, Hulk Hogan had to ask Terry Taylor where Billy Kidman was hiding, and Terry Taylor kept trying to blow him off, saying that he he was late, he was running late, and I wanted to see what ter- who Terry Taylor was reporting to, just to hear what his excuse was for being so late for the one show the WCW is running this week. Makes you wonder. Anyway, Hulk Hogan, the hide-and-seek jobber that he is, had to be told where Kidman was by the guy who showed up an hour and a half late. I would not draft him in the first round. I would not. Nope. If we were playing fantasy hide-and-seek with all the WCW wrestlers, either Kidman would be my first pick or Hogan would be the last pick. Nothing in between. How are you going to draft Hogan? Hogan? Why the hell would you even pick Hogan? Put him on his bench. Well, because... Well, it might just be that Hogan is... Or that Kidman is so tremendously great at hide-and-seek that no one else is in the same league as him. So, But Hogan may not be bad at it. He's just not as great at it as Kidman is. Hence, there's why Hogan must bury Kidman. Yes, because if Kidman is, you know, beaten to death, uh, you know, it's pretty easy then to find him. Yeah. You know, as we continue the further adventures of Billy Kidman, hide and go seek champion. And with all the you can wear a bright yellow shirt for crying out loud. Usually you're playing hide and seek. You're going to be all black. Yes, uh, Billy Kim was wearing the yellow and red Hulk Hogan shirt, and to show how tough he was, he had a big red X over Hulkamania. Oh, that's, that's toughness right there. So after that, do you remember when Miss Hancock was randomly showed up on Nitro earlier tonight? Yes, sir. Yes. Yes. Well... Well, she took off her glasses, took down her hair, and did a commercial for the Nitro Girls website as Nitro Girl Sky. Hmm. Jeff Jarrett was told by Vince Russo that it's still a title match tonight with our muscular handed person named Scott. Makes sense. And we still uh, know there is. Uh, I know. For all we know, it's not really Scott. 
Yours is on Scott Armstrong or Sky Suhade. I mean, it might not be Scott. It might be Bart. Specifically, yeah. Big Bartholomew. Bart, no, well, my guess would have been Big Bartholomew of Southpaw Regional Wrestling. Uh, oh. oh, Big Bartholomew. Did you, did you think that I was going to use this on you? Did you think that we were going to have a chain match? You need to read the fine print in your contract. Because it's not me that you're going to be facing. Oh, no. You're going to be facing my creature from the sea. Professional wrestling fans, what we've just seen is mind-numbing. We have creatures from the abyss. We have a sea creature. And who knows what's in store for Big Bartholomew. Because now we know his match is not against Mr. McElroy, no. It is against this monster from 20,000 leagues deep. The devil! The devil! Oh, yeah! I can't believe that evil Mr. McElroy, who, by the way, you know, reminded me a lot of Tyler Breeze. I don't know why, though. But I can't believe that he took advantage of the poor, naive, simpleton, Big Bartholomew. Poor, poor Bartholomew. Yes. Did you ever watch Southpaw Regional Wrestling on the WWE YouTube page? No. What are you waiting for? It's the greatest... uh, it's like four six-minute little videos. It's like the greatest thing ever. It's basically John Cena and a whole bunch of people pretending to be the most, you know, obscure mid-1980s wrestling promotion. And, yes, that's Rusev screaming. The devil, the devil. Oh, because he was Big Bartholomew. Of course he was. He's another big gentleman, I guess. But of course there's the chance, you know, that, you know, he's the one that comes in to wrestle Jarrett tonight for the title. Could be. Could be. So I did all that because I'm trying to avoid talking about Lex Luger versus Shane Douglas. Yeah. Oh, God. For the second straight week, Luger's having a bad match when suddenly Buff Bagwell comes out and gets full music and entrance and pyro for some reason. I find that funny. That every time Bagwell runs out to interfere, he gets full music and pyro? Yes. Oh, God. It's absurd, I'll tell you that. That's putting it nicely. Um, Bagwell tripped Luger, but Luger beat them both until Shane punched him in the groin. Bagwell then went after Elizabeth when a fake sting was in the crowd, 
and started beating up Shane Douglas with a bat. Turns out fake Sting was real Ric Flair. And so on this show, which, by the way, we had our levels of what's a disqualification and what isn't, beating up Shane Douglas with a baseball bat is a disqualification. Yes, sir? Apparently, because he won by DQ here, on this show that doesn't have very many DQs, but in the last three matches has now had two DQs and a no contest. Hey, they're trying to cut down on the on the DQs. Come on now. Yep. So five matches so far, and three of them didn't have a finish. Are you shocked? So, so if that's not bad enough, Buff Bagwell and Shane Douglas the World Tag Team Champions were mad because 160-pound scrawny TV writer Vince Russo didn't come out to help them in this match. But, Brian, after all this, I do have some good news. Really? You're not doing a Geico joke? I totally thought you were going to. I guess not. The good news is Hulk Hogan has finally found Billy Kidman, who was with the Hummer. However, uh, Hogan, despite finding them, decides to wait till after the commercial break to attack Billy Kidman. Because he's nice like that, and he knows that we're all on TV. Um, and... Yeah. Your thoughts on this, Brian? It was a clusterfuck from the get-go. So, Hulk Hogan, who's who's supposed to be elevating uh, Vince, who's supposed to be elevating Billy Kidman, he's already elevating Vince Russo, uh, beats the holy living fuck out of Kidman. Kidman gets in a punch because Tory Wilson attacked Hogan from behind. However, Hogan then turned it all around on Kidman, beat the holy living crap out of him, and then threw him into a nearby dumpster. Eric Bischoff then ran away because he didn't want to get his ass kicked by Hogan. And so Hogan got in the Hummer and crashed it into the dumpster that Kidman was in and killing Kidman to death, possibly. Finally, after he's done killing Kidman, and not just his career, uh, he goes driving after Bischoff. After commercial, they showed Kidman being taken away on a stretcher because he's dead. He has no credibility. Brian's not even on the air anymore. I don't know where the hell he went. Let's get him back on the air. Brian's lucky I don't actually just start calling, uh, announcing his phone number on the air. Is your phone ringing right now? Your call has been forwarded to an automated voice messaging system. 
I am stapling. All right, so Brian's not here right now. Let's see how long it takes for him to call back. Until uh, we get there, let me play some audio here for Brian. Yeah, well, usually the phrase, I'm not threatening you, but is followed by a threat. I'm sorry, Malcolm, I'm really sorry. Fuck's sake, Jesus! Wait, well, now we've got another fucking adjective to add to fucking smug and glum, haven't we? Fucking retarded! Jesus! Do you not think it would be germane to check who you're talking to? It's a fucking newspaper office! It's not a fucking sanatorium for the fucking death, is it? Are you so dense? I'm not going to have to run around slapping badges on people with a big tick on some and a big cross on others so you know when to shut your gob and when to open it. Jesus Christ. Oh, but that'll probably confuse you as well, won't it? That'll be too confusing. You'll see the cross and go, oh, fuck, X marks the spot. Better tell this little person all about the Prime Minister's fucking catastrophic erectile dysfunction. Oh, but not to worry. Not to worry. You've sent fucking Ollie over there to deal with it. Fucking Ollie! He's a fucking, he's a fucking knitted scarf, that's right. The fucking balaclava. Well, you're on very shaky legal ground. Huh, so apparently Brian... Uh, had to step aside to the gentleman's room because instead of just telling me that he uh, needed to take a minute, he just disconnected and sent me a text message, not realizing that I'm like him, I don't uh, leave my phone on and leave my phone ready to take phone calls in the middle of our show. So I wonder how long it's going to take Brian to this might uh, be one of those fun times here. Let's try calling him back. Maybe Brian needs me to put in a human-sized birdcage. Your call has been forwarded to an automated voice messaging system. Brian? Is not available. At the tone, please record your message. When you've finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. To leave a callback number, press 5. Hello, Brian. This is the Wrestling Outsiders podcast calling you. Calling because you're caller number 1. And we're going to reward you for listening with some great gifts and prizes. So you'll call back in at 347-850-1120. We'll be able to tell you about these great prizes. So long. That, by the way, is the number in case you ever want to call into our wonderful program. Oh, lordy, lordy, lordy. So we might as well start talking about the WCW World Heavyweight Championship match. Uh, which person was it Was that was going to challenge for the world title? Was it Scotty Tuhati? Was it Scott Armstrong? Was it the 1991 Denver Broncos? Nope, it was, in fact, Scott Steiner. Oh, my God, I did not see that coming. Jesus Christ, what a shock. Um, Note with this is that one of the freaks was Tylene Buck, who, in case the name slightly rings a bell, 
In about a month, she becomes major gun in the Misfits in action. Mark Madden said we're on very few DQs, and as mentioned, we're on two DQs in a row plus a no contest. As punishment for our sins, we're informed that this show is going longer than two hours. Steiner took most of the match, and these two decided to hit each other in the balls a lot. Scott Steiner apparently hit the best ball shot because he got the advantage. He went for the Steiner recliner. Jeff Jarrett was in trouble. He was about to lose the world title. So Booker T ran out, hit Scott Steiner with an axe kick. And so in our third straight match, we have a disqualification. Because the list of things you can do to get disqualified is choke slamming the referee to the table, uh, attacking Mike Awesome, um, and apparently giving Scott Steiner a scissors kick. Those are all ways to be disqualified in a wrestling match. Uh, Booker told Jared that he was welcome, and we immediately, like, and I mean immediately, cut away to Hogan looking for Bischoff. As we come back, a commercial aired for the Spring Stampede Encore. Um, I know this is long after the fact. Please do not buy the Spring Stampede Encore. Please do not buy the Spring Stampede Encore. There are better things to do with your money than to uh, buy the Spring Stampede Encore. If you're so insistent on watching it, you can find one of the 6,000 ways you can get the WWE Network for free and you can watch the show, but be warned that, you know, don't watch the show. So finally, Hulk Hogan has found Eric Bischoff and chases him to the ring. So finally, last week we had two hours of Nitro, and then two hours of Thunder, and then three hours of Spring Stampede, and two full hours of Nitro this week. So after 11 hours of television, which isn't how it adds up, after nine hours of television, we finally have our moment. Hulk Hogan has caught Eric Bischoff, and he proceeds to kick Bischoff in the balls. And this is it. What's Hogan going to do to Bischoff now that he has him alone in the ring? Vince Russo, the star of the company, starts walking out, and all of a sudden, Bret Hart storms past him with a chair. Bret Hart storms into the ring with his chair, swings, and the show goes off the air. So we never find out who did Bret Hart hit on Nitro. I mean, we do know because, you know, the show was 17 years ago. Um, but hey, I won't tell you because why not wait till next week? So who did Bret Hart hit with a chair? Was it Bischoff? Was it Hogan? No, until then, will we? <sighs> so that was the end of a crappy episode of Nitro. But let's get on with the rating. Now, last week, Nitro did a 3.1 for a well-received show. Ratings for Thunder were up through the roof. They had a Spring Stampede pay-per-view that, at the time, people liked. 
when, as you may know, that when wrestling companies have pay-per-views, usually their next show has a, a larger audience watching because these are all the people that missed the pay-per-view, but they want to know what happened, and so they're watching the free television show to find out what happened on the pay-per-view. So last week, before the pay-per-view, you know, 3.1 had a well-received show, well-received Thunder, a well-received pay-per-view, and then for this episode of Nitro, Nitro fell to a 2.47, rounding up to a 2.5, down six-tenths of a point for the show that they began by telling off Jim Ross, uh, who was up in State College, and WWF Raw, which did the famous Chris Jericho WWF title win that never happened, did a 6.7, up from last week's 6.2, and was their highest rating since January 24th. So, again, it was just ridiculous. Perhaps this company should worry about what they have on their own air, on their own television screen, before they worry about complaining about another company. But we know better than that. We have a long time to go. We have six full months until we get to Halloween Havoc, which is our end point. So that's going to do it for this week. Apparently, Brian's trip to the bathroom is so absurdly long that he cannot return to finish the show. So we're going to end it here. I want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week.